The Last Word with Matt Cooper. So for today's Culture Club, we are joined by Avril Stanley. And Avril is the brains and the organisation behind the Bolly and Soul Festival, which takes place each year in Ballinlock Castle. Avril, thank you very much. How many years is it that you've been doing Body and Soul now? This year will be our 13th year. Okay, how did it all come about? Because who launches a big festival in the midst of the deepest recession (laughs) ever known to this country? Somebody who's stark raving mad. Um, How did it come about? Uh, Right time, right place, I think. Um, At that time, we were in the height of the recession. Um, Ireland was quite depressing. but it was also a time where in Dublin, a lot of artists started to come back into the city because they could afford rents and studios and lots of cool things started happening. Um, and it felt like it was a really good time to actually put on a celebration that reminded us, I suppose, of the Celtic calendar has always been a big theme in my life. And I felt that it would be great to put on a contemporary modern age celebration of the summer solstice. And we had great success in the electric picnic and um, it felt like a good opportunity to do something that gave a platform to Irish culture and Irish arts and movements and voices and creatives and uh, makers and and dreamers at that particular time that we really, really needed it. So uh, I'd imagine lots of our listeners have been at Body and Soul, but for those who haven't, Mm. describe it. What takes place there and what sort of acts do you have? Body and Soul... um, well, I would describe us more as a, as a as a team of creatives, more so than as promoters. Um, so Body and Soul, it really is, a, it's kind of like a parallel universe where we um, we have a beautiful piece of land that we, Ballinlock Castle Estate, uh, which is in Clonmelon in County Westmeath, uh, owned by the Nugent family. So we uh, take over their land for three days and three nights across the summer solstice, or as close to the summer solstice as we can. Um, and we turned into a wonderland where there's everything from a lot of artists that we commission to do art installations. We build a lot of our own stages. We create all of the decor. We um, give a lot of up and coming Irish acts an opportunity for their first performances and then help them take those stepping stones from the very beginnings of the smaller stages up till hopefully they get to the main stage. Um, and uh, there's a very strong food side of it. It's quite boutique. It's over 21s. It's quite a kind of attention to detail, decadent experience at Body and Soul. So there's spoken word, comedy, music, art, well-being, sustainability is in the centre of it. And the kind of bands are anything from, like for this year, it's the likes of The Blaze, Alison Goldfrapp, Moderat, Murder Capital, uh, Kojak, Denise Chela, Kneecap. There's like tons and tons, Fabian Groove Rider, you name it, Giles Peterson, uh, The Blessed Madonna. So it's a real mixture of everything from the best of electronic music, best of folk, best of dance and uh, and a lot of stuff like we've got some great African music and a band coming over from Soweto that wouldn't necessarily be known that are the likes of BCUC are one of them or even a more established the likes of Tanarawan. So I think we try our best to represent lots of different cultures and creeds and colours and, and persuasions. Um, but the main thing for us is that they're exceptional live. So it's not really that they're huge, big headliners and particularly known, even though obviously several of them are, but it's that they really deliver and put on a show that's really memorable. How many people can you cater for at the festival? Well, we've normally catered for 15,000, but we we turned it on its head during COVID and had a really good look at who we wanted to be within the festival industry and how we could kind of continue to pioneer a, a different festival model that wasn't necessarily about scale. Um, so we flipped it on its head and this year we're 5,000 capacity. So we're keeping That's it. That's all? 
Yeah, it's just 5,000 for the weekend. And then there's a very small limited edition of Sunday tickets that we just released today, actually. But um, so, yeah, keeping it small, keeping it niche, keeping it um, uh, so that it really is like attracts like-minded people. I think that's the most important thing for us is that when you go there, whether you go there on your own, go there with a bunch of friends, it doesn't matter. But that to your left and your right, the people that you see, the people that are that are there, you're like, they're sound, they're cool. Yeah, I'd happily be friends with any of them. And that for me is kind of people talk about the success of a festival. For me, it's the audience. It's who you attract, what they're like. And if they um, they come and participate, they're part of it. They're part of creating the vibe. And, you know, we create the container and pepper it with lots of great programming. You describe yourself as a creator rather than a promoter. But has this turned you into a businesswoman? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was born entrepreneurial. It's in my blood. I came from that kind of lineage. So I think I, I've inherited um, a desire to I see gaps in things and I, I see the opportunity to to for me, it has to have purpose. Um, but I, I think I'm a businesswoman with purpose. <laughs> Is this all that you do, though, or do you do other things as well? I work on the side as a I also work as a mindfulness based psychotherapist. Um, one of my passion projects on the side. I do that just a day a week. Um, but it's kind of my little, uh, my personal give back space. Um, and I trained as a psychotherapist 20 years ago and went back to it again during uh, during the pandemic. Um, so I really enjoy that. And outside of that, yeah, Body and Soul is my main my main baby alongside my gorgeous 15-year-old baby who's no longer a baby. <laughs> I would probably hate to describe as a baby now on air. <laughs> my cool teenager who's definitely not a baby. Um, so, yeah, so I guess Body and Soul is an extension of myself and the people that have worked with us over the past 20 years that have stayed on the team. And um, yeah, it's special. It's beautiful. And the, the site's exceptional. It's like wall gardens and woodlands and a natural 17th century gardens and amphitheatres. And it's really, um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful landscape to be able to come and uh, create your wildest fantasies and be given permission to do that. And if people decide to come along. Well, let's talk about all of your influences in the Culture Club, which brought you to where you are. And uh, you've got a real banger of a first single that you ever bought. Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Tell us about why you bought that. Um, I have a Canadian dad, um, Irish mom. And during the summer, I remember I was like, God, I'm not sure what age, probably around 12, 13. And um, was given a bit of pocket money and I bought my first ever um, record. Um, and I had it, I'd left it on the back window of the seat of the car. And Cindy Lauper was my favourite artist at the time. And that song in particular, I absolutely loved it. So I bought the single. Um, and anyway, I left it in the back window of the car and we went off for the day. And when I got back, it was all warped. Um, and in those days, you didn't get pocket money a second time round. Like you had to wait a long time before you could get that again. So the second time round that I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got to listen to it on the old record player at home. But I loved her. She was like, just, you know, yeah. There must have been some tears when you saw what had happened to oh. the first purchase. Wasn't oh, it? I was heartbroken, heartbroken, all warbled and warped on the back window. Um, so, yeah, that was a that was a sad moment, but it led to, you know, eventually being able to buy it again. Let's hear it.
Cindy Lauper Girls Just Want to Have Fun really one from the MTUSA generation you've given us two favourite albums Avril and one that's your current favourite which we'll get to in a moment but one that you've described for us as the most life changing album Sinead O'Connor's The Lion and the Cobra mm-hmm. why is that so important to you? Um, I guess uh, yeah when I was again back to those childhood memories television wasn't really a thing in our house we got to watch one hour a day when I was around 15 that was the you know if you've done your homework you got an hour of TV and my hour of TV was MTV Um, I remember when MTV came to Ireland it was such a big deal Um, but I had come home from school and uh, popped downstairs and put on the television and there was this woman singing with a shaved head painted in gold and it was the most arresting and profound piece of music I'd ever heard in my life. At the time I'd no idea who she was, I knew nothing about her but what I did know is that as I was watching her the entire chemistry, DNA and cellular, molecular structure of my entire body was changing and um, like I can feel it this moment what that was like. Um, to to find out afterwards that that was Sinead O'Connor and that she was, I think she was 16 at the time, maybe 17, I'm not sure, um, that she was Irish uh, was was really a, a huge kind of moment for me to see a woman that I could identify with in that world that could speak that way and have that level of um, intense impact. From The Lion and the Cobra, let's hear Sinead O'Connor, Drink Before the War. O'Connor and does it still do it for you Avril? Absolutely 100% Um, and when I went on to see her documentary uh, last year that was another layering of like understanding what it was that she was communicating and you know really having a whole other level of respect and appreciation for what she stood for what she stands for 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 women in Ireland actually and for me at that time as a 15 year old woman being a bit lost as to who am I where am I what's going on being a teenager in Ireland at that time it was iconic to come across someone like that and I think it continues to still be that way. You've also given us a modern day album from Moderat. Moderat, yeah. Um, one of our headliners for Body and Soul, not plugging anything. Um, Moderat for me were, again, a very influential electronic act that I've I've got a chance to see over the years in different places. Um They're super cool. They've gone on to spawn all sorts of other acts from Mode Selector to... Um, lots of other independent monkey record label um, 
and Apparat is another one of their um, uh, performances that they've created with different members. But for me, it's just layers of synth and techno and uh, lots of different beats all woven together in the most beautiful tapestry. And when you press play, you can listen it from start to end and it takes you on a wonderful journey. This is from the album three. This is Reminder. from Moderat. So there you're indulging yourself a little bit, are you, by bringing them to Body and Soul? One of the beauties of running a festival, you get to indulge yourself all over the place. But yes, Saturday night main stage with the most epic visual show. They're incredible live. Very good. Okay, we'll actually go to the best gig you were ever at for me. You've Mm -hmm. nominated Kate Bush from when? Uh, Kate Bush would have done, uh, it was the first live event that she ever did in, in, in Hammersmith Apollo. Um, and it was back in, gosh, I'm not even sure what year it was. She'd made sort of a comeback around 2014. 2014, it? that's when it was. Yeah. yeah, she made a comeback and she did a, a, a show, but it wasn't like any show I'd ever seen. For starters, she's my all time hero. Um, and secondly, uh, it was a three hour audiovisual theatrical production that was better than any uh, theatre piece I've ever seen in my entire life, to be actually, when I think about it now. Um, her singing predominantly the li- the Hounds of Love all the way from the beginning to the very, very end with a choir orchestra as her son was involved in it. There was uh, uh, scene changes every like 20 minutes. There was moments in time when she was in a body of water. Like it was unbelievable what they did to achieve this and pull it off. And it was flawless from beginning to end. So for me, again, it's like seeing an artist who every single aspect of what they do, every inch of it had Kate Bush stamped all over it. There was nothing that was part of that performance that she hadn't curated, choreographed, written um, or in some way designed. Uh, And three hours long, it was a a really beautiful moment. And I got to go, I was taken as as a surprise by one of my best friends who also was the music booker with Body and Soul for a good, you know, 15 years So that was uh, her little treat to us because she introduced me to Kate Bush when I was about 13. Okay, well, (laughs) we don't have from the live performance, but I think a lot of people would like to hear Kate Bush, Hounds of Love.
Kate Bush there, who you said, Avril, is your absolute favourite because you've given us a long list of favourite <laughs> bands and artists, but she comes number one. Who else would you have on that list? David Bowie, Prince. Um... Who else would I have on that list? Well, you gave us Elvis, Elvis, which is very much a throwback. Oh, come on. Elvis was the king of rock and roll. Who couldn't love him? Everything about him. I mean, I fell in love with him when I was eight and I, st- I think I'm still in love with him. I'm hoping that he's still alive and at some point we're <laughs> going to meet. Um, but yeah, El- Elvis for me, like he epitomizes for me the sexiest end of the spectrum when it comes to a man who grabs a mic and can dance and makes, you know, brings rock and roll and has that frenzy effect on women all over the globe. Um, I think that's a phenomenal power that he held within him and uh, comes through in his music. Let's hear a little bit of Suspicious Minds. So with an old friend I know certainly brought a smile to your face. (laughs) Avril Stanley is with us for the Culture Club, the promoter behind the Body and Soul Festival, or should I say the creator behind it. Let's move away from the music, though, and let's get to things like movies and television. You've picked as your favourite movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Tell us about this movie. Uh, Well, it's written by Charlie Kaufman, and it's mainly, it's a film that's about a a man who finds out that his ex-girlfriend underwent a procedure to erase him from her memory. Um, and then he decides to go and do the same um, And uh, when the relationship turns sour. Um, but it's only through the process of loss that they, I don't want to give it away, but in, in essence, they discover what they had to begin with through the process of love. What, I, what, what touched me about it was, um, am I allowed to like ruin the film on people and... and well, you know, it is 19 years old. So I okay. said there's a pretty good chance that most people who are going to watch it have watched it. Okay, good. So we'll do the spoiler alert in case people haven't seen it, but go on. Yes, yeah, spoiler so. alert. Um, they erase the memories of one another, but in the end they still find one another. And I just love that. And they've had so many different occasions when they're on the same train together, or they're walking down the street together and they have this kind of feeling, there's something there and they can't quite figure it out. And, and it's beautiful to watch all these moments until at the very end they come back together and it's like, ah. plus it's Jim Carrey and Joel Barish who are the, the key um, actor and actress in it and anything that Jim Carrey does is pretty epic. Well, the clip we have is Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet together. On the ah, train. Kate Winslet. Let's have a little listen to that. Hi. I'm sorry? I just said hi. 
Hi. Hello. Hi. Okay, if I sit closer. How far are you going? Uh, Rockville Center. Get out. Me too. Really? What are the odds? Do I know you? Do you ever shop at Barnes and Noble? Sure. That's it. Yeah. I've seen you, man. Book slave there for like five years now. Oh. Jesus. I would thought I would remember five you. Years? It might be the hair. What might? It changes a lot. The color. That's why you might not recognize me. It's called Blue Ruin. Right. Snappy name, huh? I like it. Anyway, this company makes a whole line of colors with equally snappy names. Red, Red Menace, Yellow Fever, Green Revolution. That'd be a job, coming up with those names. You think there could possibly be a job like that? I mean, how many hair colors could there be? 50, maybe. Someone's got that job. Agent Orange. I came up with that one. I apply my personality in a paste. Oh, I doubt that very much. Well, you don't know me, so you don't know, do you? That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. In a nutshell. Avril, favourite play or show or musical? What have you got for us? Mm, well, obviously, um, my little Kate Bush moment earlier. But as well as that, um, I love Punch Drunk. I think they're an amazing um, immersive theatre. Um, and I saw one of their shows. It was, uh, again, I think in 2009. Um, and it happened in a 15,000 square foot former tobacco factory that they transformed. Um, and it basically was the a journey into heaven and hell of Faust's legendary downfall. Um, but with Punch Drunk, with what they do, you're you're very much um, immersed in the theatre yourself and you have to use a lot of your own imagination to fill in the gaps. But in terms of the way it was done and the design, um, you walk through a labyrinth of different rooms over lots of different floors and you stumble across all these various different wonders and performances and, and little things that happen all over the place. Um, and for me, it was just a very unique experience where, you know, you're you don't really know where you're going to go next and you're not really sure what the actors and actresses are where they're going to take you. Um, and I'd never really experienced theatre like that before that wasn't just sitting in a seat looking at a stage. Very interesting. Books. You're giving us a choice of book that none of the previous Culture Club guests have given us. It's a book that I loved reading to my kids, all of them, when they were small. Dr. Seuss book, All the Places You'll Go. Um, yes, it's like, I would read it again and again as an adult. Um, I really enjoyed reading it to my son. Um, and I feel like it should be, you know how the Bible often is one of those things you find in every house? For me, it should be Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You'll Go, because it tells such a beautiful story within it that gives a lot of confidence and gives a lot of courage and reminds you that we're all in it together. But, you know, we all might be wonky and different and weird and wonderful, but there's a place for everybody. So for me, it's a really compassionate, beautiful message that's told in the quirkiest, most fun, um, rewarding way. Great choice. Favourite television show. So you told us you got to see very little as a child and teenager. Strictly <laughs> rationed. Apart from NTV, did you get to see much else? Um, well, my grandmother was allowed to watch Dallas. She got to watch what she liked, but <laughs> Dallas was a big thing in our house. I, I, I remember like sitting at the edge of the 
couch, you know, especially the you know, the one we all remember. It's kind of like when the Pope arrived when Bobby was shot um, or JR or whoever the hell it was. But um, and I do remember, you know, sitting at the edge of the couch and everyone being so excited and everyone shouting and roaring and my grandmother constantly asking what had happened and did this happen and where they were and what was going on. Um, but Dallas was a big one in our house, um, as was Little House in the Prairie. And I remember this this one scene in Little House in the Prairie where the girl at the end, she's running through the field and she falls. Like they had it every time and every time they did, I'd have a little tear for that little girl who'd fallen in the field because nobody came to pick her up. But um, Laura Ingalls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I loved that too. They were like the two kind of top. Do you watch television much now? I'm not a television watcher at all. I'm one of those weirdos that didn't do Netflix during uh, during COVID. There's a gazillion, million, trillion other things that I prefer to do than watch TV. But you did nominate for us The White Lotus. I you loved did watch that. It. That was great. What was it about <laughs> The White Lotus? Um, well, it was uh, ooh, everything about it. The design, the style, the location, the characters. They were so likeable. Um, uh, I thought everything about it was brilliant. Um, that for me, if, if, if that kind of TV is out there, I'd definitely watch it. Um, uh, yeah, everything but, but about it. It gives exquisite. us an excuse to play a little bit of, I think, the star Jennifer Coolidge playing Tanya McQuaid, scattering her mother's ashes out to sea during season one of The White Lotus. My poor mother. She died in June. And she loved the ocean. Just loved it. My poor mother, she had a beautiful house in Carmel. And she tried very, very hard to be a really good mother. Even though she didn't have any maternal instincts or skills. She, uh, she was always in search of male affection. And, uh, she was a nymphomaniac. I'd walk in her room and I'd find all sorts of strange men in her bed. She had borderline personality disorder. She took her money and she manipulated people with it. And she was cruel. Yeah, she was very, very cruel. She was so, so cruel. And uh, I, I just, oh, mother, 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 mother. My mother told me I would never be a ballerina, and that was when I was skinny. My poor mother, she, she just couldn't handle her jealousy. She had to take me down. And what's weird is I miss my mother, even though she was a big jerk. The White Lotus. <laughs> Okay, we're getting to the end, Avril Stanley. And what we do with each of our guests is we ask them to nominate just something as a cultural buried treasure. It could be anything that is perhaps overlooked in normal conversations. And uh, you've come up with some interesting ideas for us. What are you nominating? Um, I'm nominating a beautiful poem called Zero Circle. It would mean I'd have to read some of it to you, though. Go for it. Um, Who's it by? It's by Rumi. And um, again, it's just one of those poems. Um, I, I mean, I, I'll just take a little excerpt of it, but it's one of those poems that I think is really beautiful and quite arresting. Plus, Rumi was so incredibly prolific. Um, and this particular poem, if I'm ever having a moment in, in life where I'm not really 100% sure, 
I read this and it reminds me to trust. Okay, go read it for us, please, will you? <laughs> Some of it? Yeah, go for it, go for it. Um, okay, so uh, this is the middle section. Um, we are too dull-eyed to see that beauty. If we say we can, we're lying. If we say no, we don't see it. That no will behead us and shut tight our window onto spirit. So let us rather not be sure of anything besides ourselves. And only that, so miraculous beings come running to help. Crazed, lying in a zero circle, mute, we shall be saying finally with tremendous eloquence, lead us. When we have totally surrendered to that beauty, we shall be a mighty kindness. How often would you go back and read that? Oh God, I mean at least four or five times a year. And what does it give you? Is that sort of a form of meditation or almost like a secular prayer? It's like a, it's a form of meditation. It, it, it soothes my spirit. Uh, it reminds me that we're all in it together and that when I close my eyes, everyone I've ever known, whether they're here or gone or lost in my life, they're still there. And that when you reach out into the abyss, there's normally a hand out there to connect with. And I love that. I love being reminded of that. And I love in my work, both running a festival, which, you know, in the end, festivals are, are, are you know, places where you can catalyze a lot of positive things for people. And my work as a psychotherapist, it's really important for me to remind people of that, too. It's a lovely way to finish. Avril <laughs> Stanley, thank you so much for joining us here on the Culture Club on The Last Word. And uh, best of luck with this year's Body and Soul Festival. Thank you so much. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-